Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Road podcast. Today, we have on RJ Inga, the former assistant coach for the Colorado College Tigers. Uh, RJ was also my first hockey director when I first started playing hockey at um, in the Colorado Springs Junior Tigers program. So it was really interesting to get him on and, and find out more about him and, and his coaching and everything like that. Uh, we had met previously at the 16 Select Camp this summer uh, for USA Hockey, and I got to work with him and I got to see his, some of his coaching firsthand in that camp. So it was really interesting to, to kind of ask him questions about it now and find out more about his thoughts and, and how he kind of approaches the game and, and approaches recruiting. So it was really interesting to have him on today. Well, first of all, I need to say from it is very funny sometimes um, how small the world is and sometimes how big the world is because as you have been mentioning right now RJ was your first hockey director but you guys have never met in person before so it took you about 23 years so you uh, not 23 years about 15 years until you guys um, actually met and you were in the states you had to move to Finland then you had to move back to to the uh, not not to move back you went there for the summer to the united states for the camp and then you guys finally met in person and um i need to say i did not know rj before but i'm absolutely love the conversation and i'm glad that we had the opportunity to connect to him because um he he is very very passionate about hockey and he really likes to share his ideas and i really enjoyed the entire conversation we had and the entire atmosphere and as you said we also uh, jumped into a little bit recruiting because RJ gained a lot of experience in that area. In Europe, this is not so common. Um, but um, we hope that everyone who's listening right now will enjoy the episode as much as we did with RJ Enger out of Colorado Springs. All right, now we're welcoming on RJ Inga, former assistant coach for Colorado College Tigers and my first hockey director back in the day with the Junior Tigers in Colorado Springs. RJ, we met at the 16th camp this summer. Um, we've both lived in the same town my entire life, but never met before that. So it's exciting to get you on. I'm excited to talk hockey, talk coaching with you. So thanks for joining and, and how's everything going? It's going well. Just uh, appreciate you guys having me on and and Derek, it's too bad we we took so long to to meet, right? I mean, you had to go to Finland and then back to Buffalo to figure that out, and then yep. But uh, but it's great to be on, and and uh, things are going well. Just uh, uh, you know, get trying to figure out next year and the next steps. Yeah, well, one of the things that you know I want to ask you right off the bat because you know we spent a week with some high level hockey players, at least high level to me, of course. Like that was the highest level of hockey I've ever been around, but. I want to ask you this question because we talked a lot of hockey that week, but what does hockey mean to you like in your life and, and everything like that? What does the sport mean for you? Well, it's just, I mean, it's just been my way of life. So I really don't know much else. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, I, I, my dad coached uh, football for, for 29 years at the air force Academy kind of brought us to Colorado Springs back in the day. Um, but it was, it's, it's just always been part of my everyday, um, you know, whether it was playing ball hockey or like in the basement or if it was going, you know, if you get a chance to go to the rink and skate. Uh, but, but hockey means everything to me in, in the sense that it's, it's, uh, you know, my lifelong friends, uh, you know, the, the, the teammates that you've had and, and uh, you know, the, 
the relationships that you make uh, through the game and, and, and how they, they're able to stay relationships as you get older. And, and now, you know, their kids and, you know, I'm at that stage of life now, you know, where, where the guys you played with or against that, you know, you have a high respect for or that you, you're still in contact with, like, you know, their kids and some, some cases, your kids meet each other's kids. Right? So it's, uh, it's just the, the, the culture of the game. I just, I love the humility of it. Um, I, I love the, the, uh, how genuine everybody is in the game. And, and uh, so it's, it's, it's just a huge part of my life. Yeah. And, and specifically like talking about Colorado Springs, you know, it, it it's such a, it, it's a hockey city, really. If you think about, you know, USA hockey's headquarters there, the Tigers have been there for so long, you know, Air Force is just 20 minutes up the road as well. Can you just talk a little bit about what it means? You know, you played at CC back in the day, you also coached there as well, and just growing up in, in the Springs, like, can you just describe that a little bit? And, and was that important for you or, or anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I, I think the, yeah, the hockey, I, I think it's uh, sometimes, you know, because, because it is Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's not one of the three M's, you know, Minnesota, Michigan, and Massachusetts that, mm. that it gets kind of not necessarily overlooked, but, but it's definitely a place that is hockey rich. Uh, in its tradition, you know, um, I mean, they used to have Colorado Rockies back in the NHL a long time ago, like when I was a kid, mm. uh, you know, and then now obviously in the abs, the first year the abs come to Colorado, they won the top. It doesn't, doesn't hurt when you start that way, but, uh, growing up in the Springs and it was just, uh, you know, there was, there wasn't a lot of rinks. So the ice time was limited. They, they've added that, which is great. Uh, but it was, it was a great winter sport. Uh, for kids and, uh, you know, boys and girls. And, and uh, there's more of it going on than you think. And, and I think the adult leagues can speak to that now, just locally with all the former hockey people, so to speak, that are here or, or hockey fever people. Uh, adult leagues are even, you know, plum full and they're playing games and, you know, 11 o'clock at night sometimes, but they're still doing it. Um, but it meant so much to me to be able to, so I had gone away to prep school uh, for hockey as a, as a teen, young teenager, um, but to be able to come back and play for Colorado College and in front of, you know, some of my friends in my hometown and my mom and dad. And, um, you know, it was uh, it was quite an honor and obviously a huge thrill. And we had some good years there and, you know, won the league a couple times. So it was uh and to be able to go back and coach was even more rewarding. I, could, I can't even describe how that feels to, you know, represent the school and, and the program from the other side of the glass. And, uh, and, and what an honor that was. Yeah, I want to I want to jump into that background a little bit. You know, you had a, a pretty long playing career, played a, a season over in Germany and, and also played in some of the different pro leagues out there and, and even the was it the international hockey league that was that was around back in the day and and everything like that so you know going from from that vast experience of playing pro hockey college hockey and 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 prep school hockey and then going into into coaching you started with the junior level uh under 20s and then and then stepped into ncaa it might be an unfair question but you know which one do you look at more fondly if if that's a if you can answer that question in a way, because it's so interesting to us. We have a lot of people come on that are players turned coaches, but it, 
is that even comparable for you or is that something that that you can look at no it's a it's a great question derek i think you know it's it's hard because each level that you coach at you 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 gain something from you learn something um you know the difference is is the higher levels you go the the athletic learning capacity of the players you're coaching is is way higher <laughs> you know like you, you don't necessarily at least hopefully at the higher levels anyway you really only have to tell somebody once to do something um you know maybe the odd time you can remind like just reminders of things that you know whether it's a system thing or whatever but even when I was coaching youth level I, I coached U18 AAA and then was hockey director Derek for you but uh, when, when I jumped on the ice with like eight and unders and squirts or peewees, you're reminded of how amazing and fun the game is. Mm. You know, it's not, it's less of business and it's just fun. They, they can't wait to go play and score a goal or make a save or, you know, like poke check off a stick or, you know, like it's just, it, it kind of gets back to that kind of grassroots, like why you play and, and when you see the joy the kids have to just get on the ice and rip, all they want to do is grab a puck and play with it, uh, you know. And then as you get, you know, to higher levels, it's 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 more uh, structured in the sense of, you know, what you need to accomplish. And, and ultimately, the accomplishment is winning. And when and then you you know you focus on that purpose as you get to be an older uh, levels or higher levels because you know that that's your future employment. So that you're, you know, you're driven by some, maybe some different things, but ultimately it's still the game. And, uh, and that's, what's fun about it, you know, and, and at the college level, it's great because you're, you're essentially, you're providing a, an amazing level of, of a sport, our sport hockey, but you're also definitely at CC, you're providing this amazing, amazing education that you know that they're yeah. going to get off the ice. Uh, so that they're, you know, going to train their brain, obviously, for whatever's going to be in life. I mean, if they play till they're 35 years old and they're they're not making a million dollars a year, they still have to do something for the next 30 years before they retire. And that, yeah. you know, that college education is going to set them up for that. So um, and then obviously the connections and networking that you make just kind of organically in the game. Um, but. I don't know if one level, Derek, is more – I think they're all really rewarding. I know that's really kind of a – not the answer. I don't know, me, but they're all rewarding in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I just recently went to Josiah Slavin's wedding, you know, and uh, as a coach to be uh, – that they thought enough of you to, you know, to, to invite them to your wedding to be part of their special day is an amazing thing. And I, I did the same thing with Jacob slaving and uh you know it's just those types of things are going to graduation parties or you know that that away from the game aside from just being coach you know you're also uh you know a mentor or an important person in their life that they feel uh they want to have you included in things so that's super rewarding yeah yeah and you know it, it's something that i want to get into the relationships you've built with players and and how you start that process and everything like that but i want to ask something as a follow-up to what you said there you know you're reminded by the young age players the joy of the game the fun that they have and everything like that but then as you get 
into older and older age groups and more elite age groups, it turns into more of a business. So do you find part of your responsibility as a coach is to find a way to ensure that your players are still having that love and still having that passion for that game that that eight-year-old has, but now it's just adding on that business? Or is it, do you think it's okay that the motivation is shifting away from maybe the, the passion and more to the business side there? It's, it's a delicate balance, I think, Derek. I think you're always, as a coach, challenged to keep things fresh for players, especially older players, because it is a grind. It's a long season. It's one of the longest seasons in sports. Um, but it's the challenge is to keep it fresh. And a lot of what you can tap into that youthful, competitive spirit of, a, of let's say, a 28-year-old pro hockey player. That, that's playing, you know, obviously they're getting a paycheck so that, you know, you know, their level has to be good and they know their level has to be good. Otherwise they're, they're waived or traded or cut or, you know, whatever. And they don't want that. Right. And uh, you know, so you can still tap into that youthful competitive spirit, that, that kind of joy you spoke of that kind of, they get back to it. But that's your job. I think as a coach is to, to find that, um, you know, other guys that they're, 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 they love it. They enjoy every day, no matter what. They embrace the grind. And, uh, you know, other guys that, you know, can wear them down a little bit and they kind of just pay, playing paycheck to paycheck and, and you can tell, you know. So it's, it's kind of it's a, it's a balance for sure to try to get that at the higher level, keep it fresh and fun, but then also understand the seriousness, I guess maybe I should, is the way to put it, of, of what they're doing, that it matters, you know? Well, you just said something in your previous answer that sparked my curiosity a lot. You said um, it's very important overall to keep it fresh. Um, obviously, also you mentioned that there are some of the players who love the grind, but that just got me thinking about um, overall, you know, like we coaches sometimes we love to do plans and we love to do this and uh, here and this and then For example, if, if I think about myself or if I think about Derek and me planning last year, we're thinking about, okay, now we want to we want to work on this, but then we cannot do this because this is against the game. This does not happen in the game. And my, my just my question is for you, like, do you think that we sometimes overthink what we want to do with the players on the ice and that we're not keeping it simple enough? 100%. 100%. I... I... I think coaches, we, we complicate it to the point where the kids, they pretty much know how to play. They, they know mm -hmm. the object of the game. Um, I think it's our job to, I, I, without a doubt, we overcomplicate it. And that's what systems do is they overcomplicate it. You know, oh, you should be two feet more to the right here on this situation. You know, it's just, and then kids are thinking about that as opposed to, you know, organically seeing and naturally, you know, getting to like spots on the ice to, to get pucks uh, or, or be an option for pass. Uh, but I, I think the, you know, the freshness of it, the game is played in such small segments, right? I mean, it's a big rink, but we only have, we only have the puck in certain areas and there's only one out there. And so I, I think that, you know, whether they're games or things like that, you can always integrate some facet of the game. But ultimately, Rick, I think you're 100% right. We overthink it. I think the kids can be creative enough to understand within a certain drill, specifically, they don't even know sometimes that they're getting something out of like what the goal is as a coach. But 
but they're naturally doing it the way that you kind of want them to. And, and, and sometimes just giving them some general parameters of like, and small games are great for that, right? Cause it's, it's fluid. It's not, you know, uh, there's not a definitive, okay, it ends with a three on two and a shot on net. But if you have small <laughs> games, you know, like you can have, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's different all the time. It's more random, which is more of the game. I mean, there are certain structures and things, you know, one, two, two, too hard. You know, everybody's got that, but, but within that structure, it gets broken down into even smaller little units of creativity. Yeah, and then on, this is something I think Derek and I, we have been finding us uh, last year also quite often, like we were planning some game or something and then we were trying it out. With, we, then we were trying it out with our players and then we wanted to work on, let's say, for example, puck protection. But out of the sudden, they do something totally else. Instead of protecting the puck, they make a play. But is, is, yeah. is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, because at the end of the day, I'm like, um, the game is very chaotic. So I think we also like need to like always respect the game and we always need to think about the continuum of the game. It's always mm -hmm. going up and down. And like, I think that's like why, especially like game sense and switching game, game roles and reacting quickly to certain circumstances in the game is so important. I, I think you cannot really teach that by saying, Hey, you need to do it this way or this way. You just need to like, let the game speak and let the players figure out and all these kind of things. Uh, I just think um, that this sometimes gets a little bit lost in practices and based on my experience and what, on based on the discussions we have and based on the uh, podcasts I've been listening to, I think um, especially in youth hockey, this gets, gets sometimes and junior hockey, this gets sometimes lost because sometimes we are so much like in our mind, this has to be exactly this way, but um, we don't let the players play the game and we cannot predetermine what happens in the game. So no, Rick, you're bang on million percent, right? I, like, I think when you set up drills as coaches, you have a primary skill set or mm. aspect or tactic or whatever you're teaching. And then the secondary and tertiary things start to come out and you're like, wow, that was pretty good. Or, you know, and so the byproduct is that, you know, setting up a primary drill, it may not end up being what you wanted it to be. You know, it may be the more of the skills that's being worked on in that set that you created is the secondary tertiary aspects or tactics of the drill. And, uh, and those are great because again, the byproduct is that is it, it's, it's the, the game is played at a better level, um, you know, and then they're more used to it. And so you're creating that muscle memory for them. Um, you know, and again, and, and if their athletic learning capacity is as a good level, then chances are that player is going to be able to apply that when necessary in an actual game, when it's going to matter and count the most. So there's always guys that, that, you know, because we talk about this a lot, we had players that were excellent in training or practice sessions. And then when the lights went on and they, they sold tickets and there's a crowd in the building, And they kept the score. The, those players, it wasn't translate, you know, how they looked in, in practice and how they looked in games. And so the, the challenge was always to try to get, you know, what's the best way to get those kids to, to translate all their, you know, attributes, uh, you know, towards the betterment to the team. Yeah. And following up on this um, overall, I just like think, think about if this is necessarily a bad thing 
because if they're kids and if they don't make this kind of experiences, um, I think this is 100% connected to the mental side of the game. Um, so, but if they don't make the experience and if they don't get like any kind of positive reinforcement and positive coaching, um, then they're going to be scary all the time <laughs> during yeah. the games. I, ca I can remember playing by myself and like sometimes like I was really anxious on the ice. I was like, what the hell do I need to do now? And like, there's so much then pressure on your mind. And then you still hear someone yelling from the bench. So I think like, um, we really need to think about this way that especially in the younger age, they are not, uh, any close to playing on the professional level. So, and I think also on the levels you have been coaching. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that if you can instill, you know, because of, you know, they're in great shape and, you know, they've had, you know, hours on the ice with you and they have some skills to make plays and their, their skating ability, all those, those aspects that come together, um, if that allows them to have confidence, uh, you know, because self-confidence is so important in players and, and every coach, I, you know, I think every coaching clinic that I've been to has a seminar or a segment, Rick, on mental part of the game, like the, you know, players say well how i lost my confidence well you know where'd you lose it like you know is it in your hockey bag still or is it back home? like how you know like how do you lose confidence like you're still the same human being right with the same outline and the same ability um so that's definitely a mental aspect so um how do you get back into that and a lot of times it's things you can do in practice or it's a conversation that you can have you know separate with the player one-on-one -on -one. And, uh, you know, like on the ice after, like, let's say formal sessions done and guys are just working on individual skills and different pieces of the ice, you know, maybe you grab that kid and say, you know what, I, I, you know, and, and just sometimes knowing that because because players are always seeming to want to know what coaches are thinking. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it's crazy to, you know, but that's the reality is. And, and sometimes if you can grab a kid and say, look, I really I believe in you, you're mm -hmm. like you're you're doing this, really, you know, I, I like you can be very effective for all of us, but certainly yourself too. And it's, you're going to feel better about yourself if you shoot the puck and, and you, you crash the net and stop on things like, you know, there, there's ways you can get, I, I want to say trap their confidence back into their body, but, but I think that it's, it's within them. And, you know, and we always called it necessary arrogance. You got to have kind of a necessary arrogance to play hockey uh, you, you don't carry it outwardly and, you know, like interviews, you're not talking about yourself, but you've got some necessary arrogance, you know, that, that, you know, within yourself quietly that I can get this done, that I have the skills and the capabilities to do it. I think that's, that's really interesting. And, and I want to take a second here to throw us under the bus, RJ. And, and at yep. camp, um, at camp, we did not have a good first couple of days, right? Our, our team scored zero goals in the first Terrible. two games. Um, I think we finally scored two goals maybe in the third game. Anyway, we, we got better as the week went on, which is, you know, the most important thing, of course, our record as coaches and not, you know, whether or not our players <laughs> made the team or anything. But, you know, it, it was interesting to me to see because, you know, I've never worked at a level of hockey where I've really needed to implement systems. I've never really needed to implement, you know, a one two two four check or a 2 one 2 four check or anything like that. So it's really interesting for me to work with you and, and Corey Schneider from AIC with 
that like with that thinking in mind right like you guys obviously see the game at a much higher level than I do and everything like that and as the week went on you offered the players a little bit of structure right a little bit of hey let's just try this for check right because you know it might help us generate a little bit more offense and stuff like that and so it it seemed to really help the players kind of unlock a little bit more creativity almost I, I think that sounds backwards but it, it almost helped them kind of take that next step and, and actually score some goals um, but you know my question there is when you think about systems versus creativity obviously systems have their place at the high level of the game how much as a you know d1 coaching staff were you guys looking for players to fit into the system versus you know taking their risks taking their chances and everything like that was there a balance between the system and the creativity or was it you know all this or all that no I, that's a not a great question derek i think you know, not always are when you go out recruiting, are you looking for just the best talent level? Um, I mean, there's a lot of other attributes that go along with that. I mean, if in a, in a college university setting, I mean, if the kid scores a hundred goals, you know, maybe you overlook some, you know, deficiencies off the ice, but you definitely don't take a bunch of those guys, you know, you can't bring the school down, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, but I think as far as systems go, um, what was, what was great about that week is that we, we did offer it up because what we found is when we watched like Derek and I, we watched a little bit of the, the video, but, uh, and Schneid's again, we had a, a conglomerate of centers, uh, you know, so playing out on the walls in a different position, a lot of our players are used to kind of drifting in between the dots and kind of floating around reading play. And, you know, we, have tons of odd mans against. So we thought if we could at least give them a little bit so that our forwards who were, I think we had 11 forwards, sorry, 10 forwards. And I think like seven of them were centers in their respective teams back home. <laughs> right. So, so we had to, so we made a little adjustment and by putting them in the areas, of the ice, because a lot of times centers, they, they, they pucks there. You know, they're always kind of around the pucks. So they naturally pucks there and drift. And by putting those kids, giving them a little bit of structure, they ended up, Derek, they got those turnovers because they were just in a better pocket or piece of ice to get a loose puck. Then once they, they got that loose puck, then their creativity and skills, their skills took over. Uh, you know, and so what, then they realized, hey, this is really fun. We get the puck back better, quicker, and in areas that can make a play. So then they, they wanted to repeat that. So that's why as the week went on, we got better and better because the guys were able to respond to, to and then they, they, there's a little bit maybe belief and confidence in us as a staff that we're putting them in the right spots and we're, we're doing that thinking for them so that they can let their intuitive process take over when they get the puck. Um, but as far as recruiting to answer that part of the question, are you all like, Players don't realize how important it is to be able to play a system. Um, you know, like there are very few, you know, generational players, the McDavid's and like back in the day, Wayne Gretzky and, and, you know, or Sidney Crosby. I'm just going to stay current. I guess I'm old, but, but uh, you know, Eichel's another one, you know, obviously Austin Matthews, 
but if you watch those guys, they they will play the system. They don't just go out and roam around the rink and hang out at the red line and and you know <laughs> beaver tail their stick at the freaking you know. So they're they're playing. They're playing in the D zone. They're they're playing a, a neutral zone for a check. They're you know. Um, so if you're able to have those, the, at least the wherewithal to understand that I need to be in those areas for a reason, because all those guys want to touch the puck. Any pro player, but certainly even college players, everybody wants to touch the puck, and and you don't touch it a lot uh, as you get higher levels. But but if you can touch it a lot, that really builds. They love that part of it. So uh, if you can put them in areas where they get pucks back more often and they get an opportunity to touch it or make a play with it or make a play on it or force a play on it, uh, then then you're going to have them. And then as a, as a staff, then you know you've got them and their confidence is good. They feel better about themselves. They know that you're doing, you know what you're doing. And so it's uh, it, it kind of, it all just ends up, it's all a very intrinsically linked um, and, and how you play. And then, you know, then mentally as a coach, like, oh, okay, well, this, this, this young man's doing it the right way or young woman it's, you know, and we're getting pucks and we're having success. And, uh, you know, and that, again, that's why I think we got better as the week wore on is that guys, they just, they got pucks more and they loved getting the puck and, you know, then they believed in what we were doing and then they did it a little harder and then they, you know, so, um, and we still, have, like I said, and the ultimate goal is to get some of these kids to play on that U.S. team, and we and we got it. I mean, we got mm-hmm. a couple guys that you know, and uh, and they're great kids too. Like that, that was the one thing that's the 16 year olds, even the 17, like just in the, these generations that are coming through. Uh, they're more, and I'm not going to say that you know in my first few years they didn't, but it is a little different. These kids all take coaching way better. Mm-hmm. Then, like my first few years doing it, there was guys that were just like, "Well, you know, don't you know who I am? Like, I don't need to do that. I'm I I can toll pole and go into the bar, like you know." And nowadays, the kids are, you know, they'll listen and they'll try it and they'll work hard and they'll, you know, yes, coach and you know, and uh, so that was great. That was super because that's why you're there, right? I mean, it's not you know, yeah. we're not sleeping in the dorms for a week at you know, at Damon college for funsies, you know, we're, we're there to help those guys. So. I thought our so, room was pretty fun, RJ. Oh, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> Damon college. Loved it. Well, I wasn't there, so I cannot evaluate it. That's, that's right. Sorry. Rick. That's no problem, but that's something between you and Derek. Um, but uh, you, you, you have been mentioning something um, very interesting right now because you were speaking about like, probably a few great opportunities where you touch the puck, the game is going to be much more fun to play. And yeah. I've been thinking about something recently a little bit, um, not so much in depth, but a little bit, this is just a little bit my thought, own thought process meanwhile. And I'm pretty sure there are other people maybe who agree and maybe people who do not agree because uh, very often when we work with young players, uh, we want to teach the defending side of the game. And defending is 100% uh, important. Uh, it, there's definitely, because at the end of the game, um, I really like the comparison here between soccer and ice hockey because both games are low scoring games. Uh, that's a fact. So defending definitely has a place. But um, on the other side, actually, if you really are able to create a culture, 
creator, let's say, let's call it maybe some playing principles um, where your players understand how to invade space all the time, how to create it all the time and how to um, support uh, the player with the puck. I think you're going to be, it's going to be pretty difficult to defend against your team. So slipping this or turning this coin around, I just think that if you're really working on that a lot and maybe uh, with players who are not, <coughs> who need a little bit more time for their development, they could have a huge advantage and maybe get a spot because they are just more creative and they're so able to invade the space all the time and really reading the place and um, really supporting the puck carrier all the time. I just wanted to throw this in here and get your thoughts on this. No, I, I, Rick, it's a great point because you can't, you don't, you can't win 10, nine, mm, you know, like yeah, the game is, yeah. you're going to, we always call it the race to three. And I think guys, when you get you, when I know you guys will have NHL guys on your show, but it's a race to three. If we can score three goals, we should be able to keep it out of the net less than twice. So, so, you know, cause your goalie is, is, you know, you're hoping is a, is a, you know, a two or less goals against average and he's a 90% guy. So if we're giving up 25 shots, you know, we get three goals, we should win the game. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, it was funny because I, I asked this of the 16 team group that I worked with. And then I stayed that, that you don't know this Rick, but I, they actually arm wrestled me in, but I stayed for the 15 camp the week right after. Hmm. Uh, so I did two weeks out at Damon college, Derek, you know, the dorm room bets yeah. didn't yep, do yep. me well, but anyway, um, but what was interesting, Rick, is when I was drawing up a four track, because I just want to give them just parameters. It wasn't, you know, uh, like F1, you know, kind of thing. And so I stopped and I, I asked a question to both groups, age groups, and there was kind of a smattering. It wasn't a definitive answer. I said a four check. I said, four checking, is that an offensive or defensive system? Hmm. And guys were like, well, uh, you know, so it, it, the fact that we didn't just know that, uh, you know, because it was in the offensive zone, I think everybody assumes that it's an offensive system, mm. you know, because yeah. we're, you know, but we don't have the puck. Mm. So it is a truly a defensive system. Mm. And, uh, and guys were kind of, oh, okay, yeah, all right, coach. <laughs> so anytime we don't have the puck, fellas, we're on defense. So even <laughs> if it's 200 feet away, yeah, yeah. you know, we still are in a, in a mindset to, like you said, support pucks. You know, when we have pucks, we're definitely in an area to support it. But if we don't have pucks, we are definitely in an area to support it. And, uh, and you know, we got back. And actually, and, and I don't know if Derek, I, I told you, but but the team that I had in the, you know, or we had, I should say, in the, in the 15 camp, we didn't lose a game. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we won the we won the ship there. Um, it was so it was no, it's not. It wasn't. It definitely wasn't that. It was just. I mean, we had really good players, and and our goalies were good. I mean, we just we got lucky on a couple of games, but but uh, they they really the fifth that group of 15s really like stuck to it, and instead of letting them right away, because I learned from the 16 week, the first couple of games we just kind of let them play, and you know assuming that they were going to you know kind of meld. And, uh, and you just, it just proved to me that as coaches, you have a direct effect on what's going on and the reflection of the way they play. 
So Rick, if you don't, if you don't have offensive players enough to challenge your own team, like within your own team in training, mm-hmm. it's then when they play an actual game against team that are very offensively high octane, then it's no matter what each system, they're going to break it down. Mm-hmm. So teaching both sides is super important because it's going to challenge within your team. So you, the, the players defending, whether it's low forwards, defensemen, even goalies for that matter, shooting and scoring, it challenges them. If it's all defense all the time, then you have then you're going to end up not maybe developing some of their offensive instinct and habits and and skills mm-hmm. to challenge even to make them better defenders. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, so that was my is I, I you know if you can't defend you you're not going to win mm-hmm. in this game. That's it, it's yeah, the 100%. same in soccer. It's like you have to have a structure and. And, and guys have to use their abilities within that structure. They can't just stand in a spot and say, well, this is where you told me to be. Well, yeah, but you have to be assertive in your, in your support of pucks and your support of your teammates. So to get pucks. So that, that was the big thing for me is, is engaging and being assertive. Mm. And exactly following up on this as well as, um, just comes to my mind that um, because now we have been speaking a little bit more on the like here also so far with you a little bit on the tactical side and Derek and I we emphasize a lot in our show um, the invasion game principles and we also had an entire episode on this with Juha Bori who was a former instructor here in the program and who's working now in Klagenfurt and um, I just I just want to ask you um, that when do you think should we introduce like certain ways of playing to our players and how are we going to do it? Because, um, for example, there are so many things players need to be aware of. You cannot put this in like one hour video session. They are not getting anything out of it. No, you're right. I mean, that's, I think that's a million dollar question, Rick, but I think it can be as in depth, as like let's say because i know you guys are in finland right Mm. so like how is finland able to produce so many starting nhl goals and you know high high and 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 the population of the country is you know whatever five million or something and and we have five million people in denver you know (laughs) so it's like you know what what are they doing so it can be as in depth as like a linear kind of structure as to from the national governing body of like Finnish ice hockey federation. And then from their national teams right on down, whether it's through their coaching education programs or whatever and say, Finland, we're, we're playing this style, but we want you to start that style in small increments starting at, you know, at 14 years old. So Bantam age for us in the U S like, 14U, then we're going to start implementing this type of style or structure because at that point they have, you know, they're physically capable. uh, They've played hockey, uh, you know, at least way more hockey by that point in their age life. And they're able to have physical contact. I think checking is officially allowed at 14U now. So, you know, that aspect of the game now because so you're playing the true truest form at the youngest age, but, you're still allowing all of their natural creativity up until 14 years old 
to kind of take over. And some kids kind of, you know, I'm sure Victor Hedman looked like a defenseman when he was 12, but he probably didn't really start playing defense position until he was 15, 16, you know, mm-hmm. like right in that realm. And then, and then obviously took off. I know I shouldn't use Swedish guys. You guys are in Finland, <laughs> but it's, it's but like, okay. you know, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's maybe just speaks to the point, Rick, that if you're doing it on your own, I think that you definitely have to have some basics, you know, like as far as breaking the puck out and, and where the best options are for players to get the puck from one end to the other uh, and, and to score a goal. Because again, I don't care. I don't care who you are. The, the most defensive defenseman you could ever think of in history doesn't love scoring a goal, you know? Mm. So, but if, so if you can and help, you know, w- with those areas and give them options and ideas and concepts, as opposed to a definitive, you know, right wingers are here when the puck's here, when the puck gets to the half wall, then he's slashing across behind the strong side D like kids are looking at you like, what are you, this guy talking about, you know? So I think if you give some options and, you know, at the younger age, but then at 14, 15, I think you can really start to maybe get into more specific, if that makes sense. I, I, think, so, I think, yeah. And I, I think it just goes to, to that point that I mentioned earlier. And, and I made this whole conversation just kind of makes me think that, you know, I'm right there, but then um, the point where it's like, you want to give them enough structure to give them that confidence just to play, you know, and just to be able to make plays and everything like that. And, and you could see that in our team that week and everything like that. And then adding a little bit more and more and more as they get, you know, older, as they get better and as they get, you know, more hockey under their belt. You know, I want to, I want to shift now to something else that we talked about a lot during that week. And there was a lot of uh, NCAA D1 guys there that, do a lot of recruiting and building relationships with players and everything like that. So I want to get into that aspect of coaching because, you know, it, it's not so popular here in Finland recruiting players until, you know, the older mm-hmm. age groups, but it's pretty prevalent in the U S and, and I think there's a bigger, a, a broader piece to it. That's not just recruiting players and that's kind of selling yourself as a coach and also selling your coaching staff to players. And, and I want to ask you about that. You know, what was your uh, kind of process? What was your kind of way of selling not just yourself, but the coaching staff at CC, the program at CC, the tradition at CC, all of that? How do you sell that to a player? How do you give them confidence to go play, you know, the next two, three, four years of hockey for you guys? Yeah, that's a great question, Derek, because uh, all your guys, great questions. I, I feel like I say that a lot. I'm sorry, um, but you guys are great questions. But the um, recruiting is definitely, again, U.S. college is different in the sense, and it, not unlike like uh, NHL free agent market, you're, you're recruiting. There's a sense of recruiting there. It's a little different if you offer somebody, you know, $8 million for seven years, there's a good chance they're taking that. But um but in college, you know, even if you have a scholarship, athletic, full athletic scholarship, um, you know, is, is a great thing, right? They're getting an amazing education and, and playing a high level of hockey and, and hopefully maybe playing some pro. Um, but I, I think what differentiates that is that 
like pro and even junior is draft based, right? So you can just draft who you want based on where, where you, your older players are aging out or whatever. So you can draft where in college hockey, you really have to focus in on, on your needs, but then, you know, what, you know, at, at Carroll college, you had to look at an academic profile. Did they fit, you know, are they a fit, um, you know, like admissions, are, are they, are they going to going to get in? Um, and then, you know, in college hockey, USD one, they, you only have 18 full scholarships uh, that you can make partials. Uh, you know, you can give a 50%, you know, a quarter, you can get, you know, so you're managing basically it's like a salary cap is a yeah. better way to maybe put it you guys. Uh, um, so you're managing that. And then um, again, it's quality. So it's a four year thing. And most time, that's four years, just when they get to campus. But Derek, we, we get kids when they're, you know, 17 years old, commit to Colorado college. And so they, and they may play three years of junior. They may not get to ca- campus till they're 20. Then they have four years. Yeah. So it's a seven year relationship. So you, one of the things we talked about a lot is that you are really going to have to like the staff because it's, it's seven years, six mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, um, but it's a long time. And, and, you know, and if you come to the rink every day and you're dreading hearing that guy's voice again, oh my gosh, like it's, you know, uh, so that was the one thing with our staff uh, that was in place at the time was that we had a Stanley Cup champ head coach. Um, Leon and myself were very approachable, um, you know, fellas, and, you know, we can have open dialogue, uh, you know, where some coaches, they, you know, they're, they're on their ivory tower and do as I say, or you're out or, you know, and they kind of iron fist it, um, which in today's world that we found is, you know, those coaches are obsolete, not, not obsolete. There's some that can still do it, but, uh, you know, instilling discipline and still being a human being, like showing the human side of yourself has been, has been a, a great way to gain um, your, the trust from your team. If you don't have trust, they got to trust you. If players don't trust you or believe in you, then they're not going to play for you. Bottom line. Um, and and if, if, when they do, then, then you'll see things like Tampa Bay lightning winning Stanley cups. They believe in their staff. Staff believes in them. You know, they, they love playing with each other. You can see it. Uh, but you know, college is no different in that regard. And so you're trying to recruit players that, I'm not saying match personality, but they, but they, there's a certain style that coaches like to play. And typically those types of players, style of players are a similar personality character type. And you don't want to have, you can't have all 50 goal scorers, you know, and you can't have all ham and eggers. You've got to find a blend, you know, but their, their bottom line has to be a certain amount of, you know, it's a discipline and, and, and belief and work ethic and all those t- and academically, obviously for us is an added component, um, you know, and so you, once you find those players, then you go hard to differentiate. So you have recruiting, you have, um, sorry, recruiting visits. So each guy, Rick here in the U S they get five paid visits. So we, we will fund, like we'll pay for a flight, hotel meals, ride to and front, you know, around, around campus 
to a school and they have 48 hours on that campus to kind of meet people, walk around, go to a class, kind of see, and then get a feel. And then, um, you know, it's facilities, right? So, you know, at CC, there's a brand new $70 million facility they built for hockey, uh, which is going to be a great recruiting tool. Um, but you, you're playing in a high level league, Derek. So we recruit the league, you know, cause this, this, this conference has won, you know, four of the last five national championships. So you're playing and you know, you're playing with and against guys who are most likely to go play in the NHL or the American league. So you're playing a, a high level of hockey. Um, you're getting a great education. You're in a great part of the country. Uh, you get great coaching staff. The facilities are unbelievable. So you're trying to differentiate because everybody's got the same thing. Everybody has a great you know, 48 hours, guys. I don't care where you go for 48 hours. You can have a good time. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the difference being, you know, the kind of school. So like, do they, can they picture themselves? Do they want big school, small school or a small school? And then your coaching staff, those are the differences, like the personalities and characters of your coaching staff. And then, you know, school, like is it small school, big school, medium-sized school, hard to, you know, hard to get in, maybe, you know, not as hard to get in, but still challenge, you know, so those are the only, because everybody's got a, a nice building, kind of a cool campus, and they play high-level hockey. So what differentiates are those things? So yeah. that's been, again, with the facilities the way they are nowadays, like I just, I hate to say that kids are spoiled, but they're spoiled. I mean, they're this, like, these places that these kids play now are unbelievable, unbelievable what they get. So, which is great because they earn it. I mean, it's a lot of work. And as you know, you guys are, are doing it with your kids there. So there's a lot of sacrifice involved and, and, uh, and, uh, but the biggest differentiating thing is the staff and, you know, and school size, I guess, or struck kind of how the school is. Yeah. So you mentioned at the beginning there the the open dialogue that you're willing to have with the players and 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 being just available for them to to come and and well being comfortable chatting with you guys and bringing up issues and things like that. So I, I'm kind of curious because you know you hear sometimes that especially I think in college football, you know, in order to recruit the player, you kind of have to recruit the mom, right? And I think sure it's really interesting in hockey because you hear hockey coaches all the time especially in the states i feel like complain about the parents right especially youth coaches you know the parents are oh the parents are on me about you know the kids not getting enough ice time at 10 and under and everything like that you know but you know you you go to the college level you're recruiting you know a 17 year old 18 year old the the parents are still pretty heavily involved for the most part in that kid's life so how important is the setting like the honest expectations for that family for that player you know like not just the player themselves but being you know like building that relationship with the whole family and being honest with them about like what to expect when you know their son comes and plays hockey at cc yeah you know what derek the parent i'm a parent of a of a athlete actually at Colorado college now uh my daughter plays women's soccer division one um but I can tell you just from my experience as a parent on that side of it, I said absolutely zero to any of the coaches or coaching staff. So I, when we have college showcases, like in California or um, College Hockey Inc. 
travels and does camps, we have a meeting with the parents and we explain to them that 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 affects their student athlete. Okay. If parents are difficult to deal with, why would I, I just got through telling you, Derek, like it's six, seven years. Why do I want to go through six, seven years of just headaches because, you know, Johnny isn't on the first power play, like, you know, like, and, and even if the expectations are up front, they're still, it's their kid. This is their all-star, you know? And, and so it's, if, if, so you're always constantly trying to educate parents um, at higher levels, the same thing in junior hockey. Well, why, why did my kid get traded? Why did my, you know, why didn't it work out here? Why is he going, you know, it's just, there, there has to be a point in time where it's, you know, just let your, your son or daughter be who they are and that's their experience. And that's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, um, you know, that's, that's a huge thing is parent education because I don't think that they realize sometimes that, that, that it does affect uh, how as coaches, it's just a natural human thing. Why would I, you know, I'm not going to go subject myself to, you know, nightmares every weekend because, you know, he's on the fourth line and I know Monday I'm getting a phone call. What's going on, you know, and now with the transfer portal, you know, in college hockey, it's changed everything. You don't have to sit out a year, Derek. You can transfer. If I don't like the coaches or I don't like the way the coaches are playing me or whatever, I can go on the transfer portal and just transfer right into another school and play right away. I don't have to sit out anymore. So it's, I think it's becoming a little bit of a wild west. So, you know, let's say you're a perennial top 15 college hockey program. And, you know, for some reason there's a hot shot at a, at a program that's maybe from, you know, 30 to 60, but he's a big time scorer. I might just, you know, like, I'm not saying it happens, but it might, it might Mm -hmm. happen where they, uh, that team maybe call and say, Hey, why don't you come here, transfer here and we'll take a run to the national championship. We need a guy like you. And they've already been college hockey proven. They've already lived away from home. They've already, you know, so it's, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's changing the landscape of NCAA hockey for, in my opinion. Um, I think most coaches would agree. It's, 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 it's becoming a little crazy that way. Recruiting us, yeah. you can yeah. recruit now you can grad transfer, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, you don't have to, like, you don't have to have a graduate program. They can just work towards a second degree. So if I, let's say we get a kid from Yale He's definitely getting into Colorado College. He's a good player. He could just come to CC. I'm just using CC as an example. He can come to CC and take our, you know, say, hey, I'm going to start a degree in history and take some classes and play hockey for a fifth year, you know, and then maybe get a bigger contract or a better contract or, you know, whatever. So, um, so yeah, the landscape's really changed that way. But parents, that's that's like we could do a whole hour segment just on that part, Eric, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because it just shows again, the, the need to set yourself apart as a coaching staff, right. And really make yourself stand out and consistently too. Right. It's not just anymore, you know, I, in, in some ways that that transfer portal is really positive for the player side. Right. Cause you know, I feel like sometimes you'd hear stories of players getting sucked into bad programs with a good recruiting trip. And then, you know, the coaches suck, you know, and, um, you know, my brother played D3 baseball and Trevor, if you're listening to this, sorry, I'm ragging on you a little bit, but 
he kind of got dragged into his D3 college football, I mean, college baseball program. And then he played like four games his all four years. So, you know, it, it, it happens for those players sometimes that, you know, they can kind of get um, suckered in a little bit. So that, that part's the positive side, but then on, on the coach's standpoint, you know, you really have to make sure you're, you're true to your word. You're honest to what you're saying in the recruiting process. And you're really, you're really having those open dialogues and being accessible to the players and everything like that. I think, it's such an interesting landscape and one we haven't talked about on the show is this idea of, you know, just recruiting and retaining players and everything like that. And it's the same now with AAA hockey in, in the States, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and in some ways, teams. sorry. No, I was just going to say kids jump teams all the time. Yeah. Year to yeah. year. Yeah. And it was really interesting to hear like at the, at the camp, you know, the USA hockey said, Hey, you can pretty much USA hockey said you can jump teams all you want, but we want you to be loyal to the, the u.s jersey right we want you to strive mm-hmm. for this all the time so i don't know it was, it was really interesting to to be a part of those conversations and, and almost be a fly on the wall when when you guys were talking you know just about the recruiting trips you've been on and, and how you work with players and you know how close mm-hmm. you were to some guys and and everything like that it was a really interesting week in that perspective but it, again like i'm going in circles now but it is just an interesting process that that highlights the importance in college hockey especially to be to be the coach that you are and, and to kind of walk the yeah. walk, but no, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting you say that because I think on the player's point of view, I get their player point of view there for sure. And there are definitely are players that get stockpiled at mm-hmm. like, you know, at, at places there, they just stockpile the best players and, and they watch them in junior and maybe their freshman year. And if they pop, they pop, if not, they just, you know, you know they're in and out of the lineup, whatever. Yeah. And so that definitely is a benefit to them, but on the coach's side, um, if you're in that, if you're in those shoes, you know, are, are you now more apt to, you're definitely honest, no matter what you should be honest, no matter what as right. a coach. Uh, but now are you coaching a little bit more as, as you know, coined by the guy I worked with Mike Cavill and he talked about coaching, maybe sometimes with white gloves on, you know, how do you hold the kid accountable right? and still, but, but, and still have him still pause about your program, you know, are they going to run back to their, 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 apartment and tell mom and dad well coach got on me today about this and this and this that you know and is it just so easy now for them to say well they just go somewhere else yeah you know like how do you you know you still want to be able to hold the players still have to be held to standards and right. expectations and, and their abilities and you know and, and sometimes when they don't meet like you know expectations and then standards like that's when coaches start to get like you know son you, you you've got to you know, you got to get more, you've got to do this and you got to, you know, and then it's like for the player, well, he's just ragging on me. What's going on. I'm going somewhere else. Cause I have a buddy I play junior with that goes to X school and he says their coaches are great. They just, you know, everybody's giving hugs every day. Like, you know, so it's like, well, you know, now as a coach, like, are you, are you coaching with white gloves on as it was said, like, you know, or are you still able to appeal to the discipline side of those players to hold them accountable to get to that certain level so that they understand. Yeah. Because when you go play pro hockey, which we tell them all the time, they don't have that meeting. I mean, they might have one or two, obviously, if they believe in you and the team signs you. But, like, you know, they're just taking the next guy. They've got six other players in the American League that they'll just bring right in or they'll make a trade or they'll, you know, they, they, they just they just say, hey, you know, hey, it didn't work out you know, call so-and-so and get your flight to, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we're in college, you, it's a four-year process. There's no trades. There's no waves. You know what I mean? Like 
Yeah. You sit down and you have conversations and video and you, you know, so yeah, that's, I, I see it from both sides there for sure. But I, having coaching, at right. least in the transfer era, it's, it, it is like, well, we still want this kid to be at the school, you know, like and, and playing this program. So we got, you know, like, so it's anyway. Well, I think it's, it, it shows why your, your quote from earlier, like the instill discipline, but still be a human being, right? Like, finding that way to hold the players accountable, hold them to those standards, but still being someone that they can relate to, they can be open with, they can feel comfortable with, yes. and know that, you know, you're pushing them, you're holding them to, to those standards for their benefit, right? For them. It's not, it's not for, you know, necessarily you or the coaching staff or anything like that. It's, you're doing it because you care about their development and everything like that. But anyway, I just want to jump in and say, I think that, that that quote fits there really quick. But, you know, Rick has a couple more questions for you. For sure. For me, someone like as a um, total European, um, this entire recruiting thing is like, as Derek already has been mentioning, it's not so common here. Um, there might be players at some age, starting from the U16 team, um, who change the clubs or Maybe if they're younger, they just change locally um, and really changing clubs and really going to a different city. I think here in Finland, some of the players, they don't they don't change their city until you're 20 because they have all their school here. And it's like from a logistical perspective, so unrealistic for some of them. So um, I think um, in the entire Lahti organization until you're 18, all the players are most likely from from Lahti. Maybe there's an, an under 18. There's maybe a Czech guy or a Slovak guy. There have been some, and then um, because we had the we had the U20 coach from Lahti also now. Sean, I spoke with him also a few times, and they 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 have sometimes new players, but it's every year only like one or two. It's not it's not it's not so much. So it's like a totally different thing. And um, earlier in the conversation, you have been mentioning something um, that got my attention a lot because. You said basically um, that recruiting is, in, is a seven-year relationship building process. So let's say, for example, I'm a 70-year-old kid um, living in the United States. Let's say, for example, I live in Minnesota. Uh, it's also a beautiful hockey city. That's the first one that came to my mind, I need to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then you are coming in as the assistant coach from the Colorado University. So... How does this entire contact between you and me look like and how do you try to like build the trust in myself? So not only just, hey, I want to have you because I want to have you. So I get like my my self-promotion like better. I want to have you because I want to help you to develop in all three categories as a human player and athlete. Yeah, I, I would start by I would go to your games. I would go. We're allowed at least seven viewings live. So I would go to your games and I would wait and I would take the time after and talk. And I, I, and I love watching games. I love watching hockey, you know, um, and I love meeting, you know, players like and talking to them and their families. And I, like, that's very, very easy context for me to be in. Um, so I would, I would, you know, I would say some funny things, get you to laugh a little bit and, you know, some anecdotal stories or, And then I would talk about your game specifically. I'm going to say, I really like that play you made in the second period on the wall. It was a great look or, you know, so that, that, you know, that I care 
that I'm not just there to, you know, I, I'm caring about you as a player and watching. I might even like, I might even have a couple things to, you know, critiques. Yeah. You know, I might even have a couple things like, Hey, you know what? I, I, you could re- like with your skiing ability, if you use your cutbacks and escape to the net, mm-hmm. you can really generate more offense. I think try that next time, you know? So now it's like, Oh, well, wow. You know, this guy, yeah. you know, he doesn't need to take the time to do that. He's telling yeah. me, you know, so you kind of build that. And then certainly meeting mom and dad, uh, Minnesotans are, we, we recruit Minnesota hard. They got a lot of good players, mm-hmm. um, that are bright, bright, interesting kids. So, um, you know, we can, if we can get the Minnesota kid to Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times we get them because it's up. Like that's the other part, Rick, is it a part of country Colorado Springs, Derek can tell you is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mountains and blue sky, 300 days of sunshine. There's no bugs. It's, there's no humidity. Like it's, it's a beautiful spot. So mm. a lot of those Minnesota kids will want to come here. They can still hike and fish and do mm. some outdoors things that they're used to doing as a Minnesotan. Um, but they're, they, they know that, um, that hockey, we, we have a history of Minnesota kids. Mm. So I might even tell you, well, you could be like Mason Berg. Mason Berg went to Eden Prairie high school, you know, came here, got 105 points in his four years and he played. Now he's signed with LA Kings. So then all of a sudden they want to be the next Mason Burr or now it's, now it's tangible. I can actually do this, you know? So you kind of appeal to that part of their future beyond the college. You, like you, you, you make it like you understand that the kid, if you know, he's got aspirations to play pro. So I'm going to discuss that as a real option for him. And you can get there through Colorado college and your experience is there. And the other thing we always have though, is we get it. You get an unbelievable like Ivy league level education, man. So like, you know, when you're done playing at 30, like hopefully you play a great career, but for the next 30 years, you still have to make money to, to provide for your family, you know? So there's no better spot. And, and so that's, that would be how it starts. Yeah. And I would, and I would, I would, come to very important games for you, Rick. Yeah. I would look at your schedule and I would bump you every week, every week, Monday morning, I'd shoot you a text. How's it hey, look like you had a couple goals. That looks great. I'm going to come see you, you know, in two weeks when you play, you know, a big rivalry or something. Mm. Can't wait, you know, or you surprise them, which is also good. Sometimes is go in on an important night and then you're there and you talk to them in the lock by the locker room after and hey, thanks for coming, coach. Like it just mm-hmm. it shows the level of importance and and how special they are and and which they are. I mean, which they are. That's the that's the reality. Yeah, that so, would have been my, then, yeah, that would have been my next question. Like, how do you like keep in touch with me over the next few years? Once a week. If you're like Rick, if if you know, let's say you're a high-end recruit, it definitely once a week. Mm-hmm. It might even be a phone call too. Like, cause texting is, you know, you can change things and, you know, we have, we have a little fun scenes like, Hey, you're, you're coming here. We're bringing the bite back or, you know, tigers for life and, you know, hashtags and you try yeah. to stay current, you know, like, like, cause you know, again, kids, like we used to get on our head coach all the time. Cause when, when they come for visits, he would say, you know, I'm a real competitor. And if I, we play checkers right now that, you know, <laughs> that I'd want to beat you. And we're like, coach, kids don't play checkers anymore. Like, you know, so it's like, so now he's like, all right, all right. So he's like, if we played Xbox right now and you beat me, yeah. I, I want to play an Xbox that, you know, so anyway, yeah. but that's just like staying current and, you know, and, and um, relatable. Yeah. I think that's a very good overview for 
anyone who has been growing up in Europe or on, is overall not so familiar with this entire recruiting process and just don't know how it feels like and just the entire atmosphere. I think Derek can relate to this much more than I am. I can because he grew up there. And um, I was never recruited. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know, you know, like the entire... He was surrounded. Yeah, yeah, he was surrounded, exactly. But he was exposed to it. But um, I have I have one more question for you because... Sure. Um, you, you got the opportunity to get to know some pretty good hockey players and one of them stuck in my mind, especially because you mentioned Jacob Slavin. And if I remember correctly, you also got invited to his wedding, as you have been mentioning in the beginning. And um, he is now playing for the Carolina Hurricanes. And I think everyone who's following hockey intensively would love that. I would, would say that they have a very, very interesting, first of all, coaching staff. They have very, very interesting players. They have great character. They have players like Aho. Um, then they have Slaven. Then the Stall. So um, Dougie Hamilton, Joel Edmonds. Teravainen. So, so, yeah, yeah Teravainen, Timo Teravainen. So, yeah, so, yeah. So, so, many, so many great players. And there's also the Russian kid. I just um, do not get his name yet. Uh, but anyway... Um, you know Jacob Slavin from from your previous from the past. Can you just speak about like about his personality and just him being in Carolina, being a part of the team as well? Yeah, for sure, Rick. I I, I love the way Carolina plays. Hmm. Just so you know, I agree. They're a fun team to watch. They play fast. They play north. Uh, they they move their feet. They move pucks. Uh, they're unselfish. Every player, they don't care. I know Aho scores a lot for them, but mm. I don't think Aho, I think Aho celebrates the same whether he scores or his teammates score. Yeah, exactly. so that's what I love about him. Um, he's a Finnish guy. He's a Finnish guy. You guys probably all <laughs> Aho jerseys hanging up in your room there, but um, not yet. Not yet. No. Oh. Um, but I, 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 you know, I think the the biggest thing for me with Jacob as I describe in Josiah is the same. He'll probably, you, you'll watch Josiah Slavin will probably, you know, knock on wood, get some games with the Blackhawks this year. Um, but what was amazing about Jacob at a young age, I kind of knew, you knew he was special um, because of how hard he worked and about how he never, ever, ever once had any complaining about anything ever. He was the guy because we're always talking about kids that to change their way of thinking that, you know, cause a lot of kids, they like to complain. Hockey players are one of the best complainers, you know, like their ice cream's too cold. You make them a grilled cheese. They want to grill ham and cheese. Like, you know, like they're just the best complainers. So, you know, Jacob never complained. So one of the best examples I can tell you was we're doing a drill and I worked with a D for years and, um, so I, I, it was, I, I, he wanted to, or I wanted our D to work really hard on, on rat pickups off their backhand side of their stick. Cause you know, cause the goalie, sometimes the goalie doesn't come out. So they're backing in, they have to pivot. And so it's like a short side, like dump or a strong side kind of push into the corner and they get below the goal line and it's, in, and they got to pick it up off their backhand. And that's, that, that's a tough skill. And, and you want to put it into an area so you can make the next play and, and not turn pucks over. So, you know, I, I would do it over and over and they pivot. He's a left shot. So he'd have to get it on his back. He didn't like the way that felt. So he'd go back, he'd do it again. He didn't like that. He would do it over and over and over again where other, like this was at the end of formal training. 
So it was like him and maybe four other D and about 10 minutes into that drill, the, 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 all the other D went to the other end and just slid and did some one teams and got off where Jacob was down there. Okay, coach, you know, the other thing I want to work on is long body. I'm not very good at long body. I got to get better at that. And so then we, and we set it up and we do that until, I mean, we had to kick the kid off the ice. <laughs> so, and he played, he played 28 minutes a night for us. And we'd have like an optional skate and he's like the first guy on the ice. I'm like, gee, you know, son, you, you gotta, have, like, you gotta get some rest. He goes, yeah, but well, let's just do some knockdowns. Let's do some, you know, <laughs> he was just meticulous, but he loved every aspect of the game. It wasn't just shooting. It wasn't just like trying to dangle and, and he just, every part of it, he just, he loved every single part of it. And he embraced the work that went into it. Like he, it, every little drill we did, ended up some kind of like competition within himself mm. to get it right. And, and he would do it right constantly. And, uh, and, and, and so when I had him at CC, there was, you know, there was a gap year where he had a freshman year, I was still in Chicago. Uh, and then, you know, things changed. And then I got the CC job and I worked with him again and we did the exact same thing we did in June. Like every single drill, we just worked through our set of drills and you knew he was going to be an NHL player, but you just never really can project how good he's going to be at that level. He's a, a such, he was a great college player. Don't get me wrong, but he is a better NHL player mm. because he just loves to work. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's still to this day, I guarantee it. He's the last guy on the ice in Carolina. I guarantee it. He's the first guy on and the last guy off. Probably every day. Probably drives their staff crazy, you know. Well, there's also Sebastian Aho. We cannot forget that. And well, <laughs> those two are probably out there together working on something together because Aho works hard. That's why, again, that's why I love. Yeah. But but that becomes infectious now in your culture. Yeah. Now everybody yeah. want like, they see how how they're doing it, and, and it's mm. working for them. So I'm doing that too, because if I don't, now I'm the outcast yeah. because I don't want to work hard, you know. So it kind of. It brings people right along. And if they don't fit that way, at that level, you can just get rid of somebody and bring in the next guy. So um, that is definitely, he is, his, his attention to detail and work ethic were, were I mean, I, I, you just be hard pressed to find somebody. I mean, I'm sure all NHL players have a, a, a level of that, but his is like next level and even at that league. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, RJ, it's been a fun 75 minutes here. And I think that might be a, a good place to start wrapping it up. But we always ask okay. one final one final question before we get off. Um, is just, do you have any kind of final message, final thoughts for, for us or our listeners? You know, it could have been something that we talked about today or just kind of maybe a lesson you've learned in your coaching career you'd like to share or just anything like that. Um, yeah, that's a... That's a... I could say like, I feel like there's so many things to cover and something like that, but I, I definitely would say that um, what I have learned and what my message would be is to like, truly, I know this probably is a little cliche, but every day you're involved in the game is a great day. It, it yeah. Embrace every single day that you're able to be involved in hockey um, because it, it is an amazing sport and there are amazing people within it. And you're learning every day, uh, but embrace that every single day because, you know, again, every day that we wake up is just a huge benefit 
let alone to be able to do something we love, you know, uh, yeah. and it doesn't feel like work. So that would be kind of my parting message is to, because now for me, Derek, as you know, and Rick, you're starting to know, I'm still looking for a job in hockey and, uh, and, and I want, I want it really, really bad. And uh, to not be officially involved somewhere in the game is, is it's gut wrenching. So enjoy every second of it. Cause it's awesome. Whether it's, you know, eight U or I don't know what level you guys are at, but just like, like, like teach those kids up, you know, coach them up. It's awesome. And uh, the lessons you'll teach them, they'll know, and they'll be on a podcast someday sharing their experience that, you know, my coach Derek or my coach Rick or, you know, so um, it, it really, everything you're doing is, it matters. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a great final message. And, and just thanks so much for, for joining us, RJ. It was a, it was a pleasure to chat with you. A lot of fun. I uh, got into some, some really fun areas and, and some new, new stuff for us and new topics for us. So that was exciting. Well, great. I really appreciate you guys having me on and, and, uh, and, you know, I'm sure you'll, you guys it sounds like you have a really good lineup of people to uh, to have on there. So I'm I'm just I'm honored and humbled to be able to spend some time with you guys. So so Mach's good, viel Spaß. Viel Glück, oder? Viel Glück. So one more time, big thanks to RJ for taking the time and joining us here today. And also thanks to everyone who has been listening until here right now. And um, first of all, I need to say again that I, that I absolutely love the conversation we had uh, with RJ about hockey recruiting and also towards the end where we spoke a bit about Jacob Slavin and about the Carolina Hurricanes. But my first key takeaway from this entire conversation was it's not so much about in general about hockey or recruiting um, it's much more about personal and professional growth as a coach uh, because RJ mentioned at the beginning that uh, at each level you coach you can learn something from and I think that really mirrors that how essential it is to keep learning and always um, continually con to always educate yourself continuously as a lot of guests have been mentioning previously on our show as well yeah and I think you know, it, it was so interesting because you have someone that's coaching at, at the D1 level, and, and it's a very similar thing to what I think Bob Mancini was talking about when we had him on. But it, but he was almost reversed. Bob went from, like, the professional level to the eight and unders, right, and how exactly. that didn't really prepare him. But, you know, learning something at each stage is essential for being, you know, the best you can be at that stage. As, as Dr. Norris put it, like, why don't we have elite coaches at each stage? You know, it's maybe because some coaches don't think they can learn something from each stage or something like that. But, you know, if you learn something at each stage, if you really master each stage of the development pathway, then, you know, you're going to be a really good coach for that age group and everything like that. So I think that was a really interesting piece of the conversation and a really important part of the conversation as well. For me, the, the first key takeaway is, is a great question by you, Rick, like do coaches overthink, right? And, mm. and how he answered that question with, and that's how we got started into the, the systems of play conversation and everything like that. But, you know, coaches do overthink, you know, they, they overcomplicate the game for the players and they don't allow the players to show the creativity that they have. And as RJ put it, you know, the kids, they're a lot more capable of, of 
playing the game than we give them credit for. And, and I brought in the example of the, the team we had at the 16th camp, which I think was really interesting because those players come from high-level hockey around the States, right? With, you know, a lot of, or I would assume a lot of systems in their daily teams, right? And a lot of, a lot of structure and everything like that. And it was really interesting to see how hard it was for them to play without structure um, just because they were so used to the amount of structure that they had. And so, you know, it was really interesting to see RJ and, and Corey Schneider, our other coach, work with the players and give them that little bit of structure to kind of unlock that creativity, right? And so it was, in my opinion, a really athlete-centered way to do it because the athletes needed that little bit of structure. So how much structure do we give them to unlock that creativity? And then once they gave them that, you know, that's when our team started to click. That's when they started to find some success and everything like that. So it was really interesting to hear him talk about, you know, how do we not overthink it, you know, and how do we, how much do we overthink and everything like that. So that was a, my first key takeaway is that sometimes, you know, give the kids some credit for what they can do without you trying to put them into a box kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I had the same thing into my mind when you were mentioning about it. They actually at the 16U camp uh, where you work with RJ and Corey Schneider that those guys, once they gave them a little bit structure, that this was a very, very athlete-centered trade. I think this is a really good example of adjusting to your athletes and really helping them to improve, improve. And especially because, as everyone knows, the camp is only five days. So really helping them to get the best experience they can have out of the camp. And also at the same time that they actually have the opportunity to present themselves with their best game because at the end of the day yeah. they actually they compete for a spot in the national team and we really need to think about this it i think it doesn't matter where from germany united states united states canada japan australia once you put the national team jersey on i think that that must be a privilege for everyone uh, really, really regardless from where you are and i think the point you brought up that um uh, sometimes as coaches we do overthink the game um, it, it was I think this question was a little bit like the can opener for the rest of the conversation because it got us into some really really interesting stuff as well but RJ has been mentioning there as well that um, first of all the kids they know the objectives of the game probably if a kid gets a puck and the kid is in front of the net probably what the kid is going to do he or she and he, he or she is open. He or she will or wants to score a goal. And that's the first objective on Bayesian games is scoring, scoring goals. So, and I think that also goes back to one of my main parts of my uh, philosophy and vision of ice hockey or vision of the game itself is that um, I really think that we need to, like, at the end of the day, players do things because of their instincts. And we really need to trust their players' instincts and we really need to give the players the opportunity that they actually can lift up their instincts and that they actually can have the opportunity to use their instincts and that also goes back uh, to another point RJ made during, RJ made during our during our conversation is that um, and that one actually really got me goosebumps uh, uh, but I, I actually wanted to comment on this one as well but um, it didn't fit right there uh, because he was still bringing up some other very very thought-provoking aspects uh, because he said that players they don't play for you if they don't trust you and i think that's like 
a big big point RJ brought up and I think this one will stuck in my mind for a long time and I think I will be mentioning this one a lot in the future again yeah and it goes back to you know the many many times in our show and in our school and and I think in every coach's coach education and everything like that that the word trust has been mentioned right mm. and and it just it's such a way it's such a good way RJ put it that you know even if you have eight-year-olds that you know they're stuck with you as your coach they're still not going to work their hardest if they don't trust you you know they're yeah. still not going to to play in that sense if they don't trust you right and so you know in in the high levels of hockey and stuff like that sometimes players have a little bit more choice on who they play for and everything like that but you know even with kids that are kind of stuck with their coaches in a way you know it, they're still not going to play and 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 i think that's really interesting you know or it just really highlights the importance of establishing a trusting relationship with your players right and and from the get-go making sure that the players know that you're there to help them you're there because you care about them you're there because you want to um, see them get better and everything like that and and just establishing that right away and it, it brings me to a point that he said in the when we were talking about the recruiting process near the end of the episode where he said you need to kind of instill discipline but remain human right and that that quote really was kind of goosebumpy for me because it was it was really important or it's really important to think that, you know like okay how do I hold these players accountable you know age appropriately and everything like that but remain human to them and I think that that is sometimes really um, you know it's a difficult balance to find but once you find it, it it can be so powerful because then the players you know they know that you know just because you're holding them accountable it's not because you dislike them or, you know, are personally against them or anything like that. It, it's to help them and, and to, to further their development and everything like that. So I don't know, it, it was a really interesting quote and it was a really interesting piece because we were talking about how fluid the transfer market is and, and college sports nowadays and everything like that and how important it is to, you know, you still can't be soft as a coach, but you can't be inhuman as a coach because then the players will just leave so i don't know it was a really interesting piece of the conversation and something that i found really interesting it was really interesting overall to learn more about the recruiting process because you know as an american i was never recruited so i had, had no idea what was going on really you know the, just the stories that i heard and everything so it was it was interesting to get kind of an inside look at that from a coach's perspective and what goes into that and what goes into kind of selling yourself as a coach to players and and how do you get players to come and play for you and everything like that so that was a really interesting piece of the conversation and i really liked how rj was putting it because he was saying that because i as i said in the episode as a european i think even um, i'm 100 percent sure that also you have much more knowledge and much more like insights about how this recruiting looks like in the united states or north america in general because in europe it's totally different and you can see also the same thing in Finland it's it's very rarely that the kid leaves to another town or another city and as RJ was putting it like this this entire recruiting is a seven-year relationship building process start going starting with going to the first game um, connecting with the parents connecting with the players um, giving some positive feedback and some positive reinforcement and what I really liked is that also RJ said that maybe he will critique the player a little bit uh just to like make him aware of what the player could do better in order mm. to help him or her 
in the game and then maybe i think from a if, if you really want to develop then you're like oh actually this guy this coach he really cares about me and then also the next step what i really like is that he keeps following up and he keeps staying in touch if the player has an important game he appears maybe sometimes he sends a message and say hey i know you have an important game i will come and sometimes he maybe just appears as a surprise so i think um, this just shows that rj has gained a lot of experience in this area in recruitment and um, i know this is this is very very big in the united states um, it's very interesting to learn about it and i think um, you always internalize things once you have been experienced but yet it's still very very interesting to have these discussions and really get to learn about how recruiting could like uh, or how recruiting could look like and my last takeaway from this entire conversation is that RJ really had the opportunity to work with uh, Jacob Slavin and um, just what he has been saying about him I think uh, for anyone um, who's pursuing sports or who's pursuing who wants to coach he said something that is very very important about Jacob Slavin he said that um, Jacob was such a special player because he worked so hard and he never complained about anything and I think that's an attribute uh, that any player, any elite player has because they are working every day so hard. And he said as well, stayed on the ice, put the, he, he, he did put the extra time and, and at the end of the day, and, and at the end of the day, he really got rewarded. I mean, now he's a, <laughs> he's a, he's a pretty, pretty good defenseman in the NHL. And just, this just shows that especially this piece that you should never complain. You should take the circumstances as they are and that you should make the best out of it. And I think just for young players, this is so important to hear the, these kind of things. So they actually get to know what it needs, well, what it takes. Yeah. And young coaches next as well, right? Yeah, as and, well, and yeah, everyone, exactly. right? Like, like yeah. just kind of, you know, how do you make the best out of every situation you're in regardless yeah. of the circumstances, right? You can yeah. complain about them and you can, you know, try to, try to do that or you can you know kind of dig in and, and make the most out of it and, and try to learn something try to be try to find a positive in it and everything like that so yeah that was an interesting part of the conversation and i want to go quickly back to the recruiting that you mentioned and and say that like you know the other part of that that i really liked is is that he gave them a vision of you know what they could do right he he highlighted a pro that they remind him of or something like that and gave that player kind of a goal that they could imagine themselves as right something to work for something to work towards and everything like that so i really like that aspect of it but then you know that it doesn't just fit into recruiting that part that you mentioned the following up the staying in mm. touch and everything like that you know that's you know that's something you can do to build trust with your you know 12 year olds or something like that i mean in america you can't text a 12 year old of course <laughs> but um you know you can check in with them say like hey how's it going and everything like that and then you know, also just networking in general, right? Staying in mm -hmm. touch with people and checking in and, and looking up. I know, Rick, you're pretty good at looking up sometimes um, some classmates if they have a big game or something like that and texting them. I'm mm -hmm. not very good at it, but, you know, it's it's really interesting to see how the pieces of these this conversation can fit into other aspects of coaching and networking and everything like that. So I think overall it was a really interesting conversation. And, and one more time, big thanks to RJ for joining us and, and for sharing so much and for being so open and, and, and just having a great conversation. So we really appreciate it. Um, don't forget to connect with the show on social media, um, at the coaches road, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And also you can send us some comments or feedback or suggestions or anything like that on our website um, at uh, the coach, sorry, thecoachesroad.com. Um, and until next week, have a good one, have some good practices and everything like that. And we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.